Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf live from Manchester to once again talk about the game we all love. Yeah, unfamiliar settings here, aren't we? We're in a hotel lobby after one of the great sporting occasions of the calendar, as some people are calling it. Not that many people are calling it, but some people. Probably only a handful, if we're <laughs> honest, Phil, and quite a smallish handful. But yes, we have just played the Tony Mio Trophy. And, well, despite my bravado talk on social media and elsewhere at times, I am really one of the nice perpetual runners-up. Yet, I have claimed victory. I don't quite know what to do. I'm, I say, winning is not something I'm that accustomed to. But it, it couldn't have been more dramatic, could it? I mean, we, we, we're going to joke about Snooker being the winner, but goodness me. I won it 4-3 by doubling the final black to win it, Phil. I needed pink and black in that final frame. And I got them, you know, and it was just brilliant all the way. We've just been trying to sort of tally up the frames and how they went again. Five out of seven went to the black. I mean, the first one was, Phil, during the first frame, we were joking that everyone would be turning over to lose women. <laughs> and they'd get huge ratings. But by the end, if it had been on television... People would have been gripped. It was it was great stuff, and five out of seven. That's 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 quite something. Yeah, it was it was nuts, really. Um, yeah, that, I think them all going to the final ball potentially makes it sound quite bad. But I think, like you said, the first one wasn't great. But after that, it was just drama, drama, drama. Uh, and yeah, that last frame. I guess we'll just go through the match. But the last couple of balls, last frame, I thought I was in pretty safe. You know, I, I didn't have much to worry about until it was match-up. So, yeah, no, congratulations to you. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was tense stuff from the start, wasn't it? It really was. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll level, level you now and now upon it. I did say to you, for about the last frame and a half, I started not to enjoy it as much. Because I just... My belief went, just like it did. And I was gutted to lose in Leeds last year because I think I just started to think I might win that one. But it's just a... I know it sounds silly because it's like, well, it's not... 
<laughs> say not important sport, but of course it's not in the grand scheme. But even if you're doing something like this, your belief and confidence is a big part. And I just felt like it it goes for me, and I felt it slipping away again today. But somehow I managed to hold hold it together to win. But yeah, the first one was was, was bad, really, in terms of standard. <laughs> you, you won it on the black. The next two, well. Amazingly, really, you went in and off on the black on both occasions, didn't you? They were both tricky shots in absolute fair. I'm not just saying that. They were quite tricky shots. One was perhaps worse than the other. You followed in a bit with it. But, um, but that put me two on ahead. And I think that, that in a way, um, you know, was a bit fortunate in, in, in my favour, in truth. But obviously, gave me a real boost. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly don't want to take anyway, anything away from your victory by any means because you fully deserved it. But my propensity to stick the white in a pocket is quite remarkable. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've got the white today, but it was nuts. Um, and two, fra- two frames doing it on the final black to lose the frame um, was, you know, I mean, there's obviously no one to blame but myself for that. But uh, I did feel like I was going mad at one stage. Went in off the break on one frame. Mm. Like, I felt like a magnet in there. But well, you went off the break on two frames. You did one... Two, yeah, two of them, actually. Yeah. You, you went straight off the... Off the pack, and then another time you, you back in the white the, one into the one of the bolt pocket, the green, green pocket, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a dreadful, it's a dreadful habit of mine. I think I actually sorted it out by the last couple of frames. I don't think I fouled at all in the last couple of frames, but I, I do tend to give away a lot of points, which is just very frustrating. But, uh, but yeah, only only myself to blame on that front. Yeah, there was that. There was one with the rest earlier. The fine black, I think that was the second frame. But I need, I needed like all the colours, didn't I? I think I need to spot all the colours. You were that far ahead, and I did, and then just followed in the final black. So, yeah, silliness from me, but you've got to learn these lessons. <laughs> well, the two frames that were comfortable and um, not black ball frames were both won by you. The one that went two-two, then I went ahead, ahead as well. Played really well to go three-two ahead. I thought, if, if I say so myself. And then um, Phil came back. You won that country, didn't you, Phil, for three-three? And then the decider. Well. It was nip and tuck all the way. It really was. As I say, I didn't have much confidence needing pink and black. But again, if I say so myself, the, the pink, which I did go for and on the cushion, yeah. was was quite a good shot. But then I have to say, we, we caught. Uh, it was very tense. We did caught, catch ourselves just then laughing at each other because the white went perilously close to going in. I was just faced yeah. with a bit of a horror shot, really. Which I don't think is very professional, actually. Um, obviously, I'm not professional, but um, I don't think stopping and taking a photo of, of, of the table was the best preparation. I thought, why am I doing this? I'm, I've talked myself into an even harder shot. The black was at one end, the white in the pocket, but I actually played an okay shot. Got a bit lucky mm. when that saved. Then we had a bit of two and throwing, didn't we? And eventually, as I say, I did spot the double and, yeah, got it. I'm not a big double fan, actually. It wasn't a double to middle either. I think doubles to middle are, are the better ones, but it was. Uh, it went in and. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't take the trophy home, did I, Phil? Because that was how, that's how surprised I am to be winning it. But <laughs> but we we are close in standard, aren't we? And that makes snooker fun, doesn't it? I mean, it's not nice when you lose; it's much better when you win. But it makes it it's sort of fun when you when you're kind of level pegging in that sense. Oh yeah, yeah. It's got to be. There's no point. When I, I mean, if you play someone who's much better than you, you might learn more. But it's no fun playing someone who's much better or much worse than you. It doesn't really matter the standard as long as it's close. And yeah, you don't get much closer than five out of seven frames to go to the final black. So, no, it was really enjoyable. Um, and some decent stuff in there, you know. We're not great, obviously. But um, it wasn't, it was definitely, it's definitely improved each year. 
um, I thought. I don't think yeah. we missed too many stinkers. Um, and yeah, I mean, some amazing parts in there, as I say, those final two. Like you mentioned, that pink. I didn't even really think you were going to take it on and then hammered it in along the cushion, which was amazing. Uh, and then the double, yeah, I mean, that was... Uh, I mean, you very graciously said afterwards, well, there's a bit of luck with the double, but you were fully going for it, so fair play. I think... I think uh, yeah, uh, doubles is a hard one to think when it, when it, for totally amateur people like us. I always think there's an element of luck, isn't there? More, I suppose that even the pros would say there's an element of luck with all doubles, but I just think, you know, it's, you know, it's not a hit and hope. I did go for it, but I, I think there's, I don't know, they're, they're funny ones, but yeah, well, I mean, what a way to win it. I should say, Phil, that, um, that we, we thoroughly enjoyed our, our, our afternoon, didn't we? And we were very well looked after. We, we did want to record, didn't we, over the road? At the, at the Stephen Charles Snooker Centre, but it, it's just a little bit too noisy, isn't it? Really, people are enjoying their Friday evening. It's very hot here in Manchester, which we did laugh about. Only we could play in the heat wave <laughs> inside on one of the hottest days, but there we were. But full, wasn't it? I oh, mean, yeah. And yeah. That, that shows how popular it was that we couldn't record in there because we got in there before midday, and I think we had the one spare table. Like, and there's probably what was that, eight or ten tables in there. And they were all full for most of it. And actually, interestingly, I thought, because there were as many pool tables, but the snooker was full. There were probably only one or two pool tables taken, which is pretty unusual when you're going to places these days. Um, so that was very encouraging. And there was those people on the, on the beers in there from quite early as well. Yeah. So, yeah, we were going to record in there, but it was just too popular and too, uh, too noisy. So that's a good thing for um, the snooker scene in Manchester, for sure. It was, it was doing very well in there. Uh, everyone was very nice, weren't they? They're very friendly. Conditions were good, so uh, yeah, shout out to the Stephen Charles Snooker Centre. We just sort of picked that a bit random because you were in Liverpool last night. I came from Sheffield, so sort of in the middle. Um, didn't do too much research, but I thought we struck on something pretty good there. We did, and thanks to, to, to Steph, the manager there, and everyone, as I say, for being so, so kind to us. And a bit shameless for me, wasn't it, at the bar at the end? So, has everyone seen this? Has anyone not seen this? Me he was showing off the trophy. Pointing to the it? trophy. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous <laughs> scenes. But, um, of course, we are aware that we do have in- international listeners and, you know, I don't want to patronise it. Everyone knows the name Manchester. But, uh, you know, we-, we should maybe expand a little bit more. We are, as I say, across the road in, in the Park Inn Hotel, a lovely hotel here, uh, just over the road from the Stephen Charles Snooker Centre, just a few minutes away from Manchester Victoria Railway Station. That's where I arrived in today, from Liverpool. This is, of course, one of the UK's truly great cities, an industrial and cultural powerhouse. And it has to be said, Phil, one of the world's great sporting cities. And that's led, of course, by the city's two Premier League football clubs, uh, Manchester United, one of the most famous sporting institutions in the world. Uh, Their story is, I think, a compelling one across many generations. United uh, recently enjoyed a phenomenal period of success under their former manager, Sir Alex Ferguson. But of course, it's now City who are the best team in the country and they won the last three league titles and the European Cup. So it's such a stronghold of football, both in this country and internationally. There's also a test cricket ground here in the city at Old Trafford, a top division rugby league team down the road in Salford, and close by Rugby Union's Sale Sharks. And more relevantly for us, Phil, most relevantly, this city will once more host Snooker's biggest stars when the Tour Championship is played this season 
at Manchester Central. Well, if you said before, it's going to be great because, you know, the connections here are marvellous, aren't they? You know, I'm, I'm not a driver, so I'm always aware of sort of trains and that they're particularly good. There's great bus services as well. So let's hope, you know, that I know it wasn't very successful with Hull. We said it might have been given longer, but let's hope that this tournament in this special sorting city can really deliver. Yeah, definitely. And I'm pretty sure Manchester Central is actually really near here. But, I mean, as the name would suggest, it's very central, um, which we speak about a lot. Like, sometimes they, the venues are a bit in outposts or smaller cities or stuff. But this one, when the Tour Championship comes here, it's a big, major city and it's bang in the middle of it. So if we can't sell tickets here, then we might be struggling. Um, and there's things to do as well, you know, there's two massive universities. Maybe we could do some student ticket deals or something, get younger people in. So, yeah, there's great scope for big success when the Tour Championship comes here. Um, and, yeah, as you say, with the sporting heritage here, if we can't succeed here, um, <laughs> we might be struggling in most places. So that would be great to see, um, especially with tournaments expanded, isn't it? So out from 8 to 12 people, so 12 players. So, yeah, no, that's going to be great to look forward to. I'll certainly be coming over. It's only an hour from Sheffield. Um, and as you say, it's easily connected to, to everywhere. So, yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, there's not... There's, there's bits of, wasn't the World Championship final held, held here one year back, back in, the, in, in the day? Um, so there is some snook averages here as well, but not so much recently. So it'd be nice to revive that um, with what has become sort of one of the biggest and best events on the calendar. That's for sure. Tour very much so Phil you're absolutely right and there is some history and it, it reminds me that the 73 tournament was certainly here because there's that great photo that often does the round I think we may have put it on our Twitter yes, feed yeah. as well which was actually held at the City Exhibition Halls as was called then looking up now it's actually the Science and Industry Museum so it is still a, a venue in Manchester but yeah there is some snooker history there and actually there was that English Open wasn't there when oh, yeah, the, yeah, we yeah. heard the rain on the roof not that what six seven years ago I don't know quite know whether they didn't persist with that I thought that was perhaps a decent venue they haven't quite found a home for the English Open I, I would argue not, not certainly not a permanent one but anyway it's back here and uh, it's a, if we're British Phil as a glass broke we should really give I it a whole really, really just, I have to restrain myself not to wear <laughs> you're not as childish as me <laughs> um, but, but um, no we yeah, we, we really look forward to that tournament. As I say this is a great sport, sports city, a great city full stop. And it's a real honour for us, I think, to play here. I think London, Leeds and Manchester, we, we, we've done the UK justice so far, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. I think we can tick it off the big cities, haven't we? Um, although we were talking about swaddling coat next year, so it's not quite on the same level of great city. But it'll be a nice segue into what we're about to talk about, I suppose, now. From uh, the home of snooker and swaddling coat, Potter's. Well, absolutely, and we should say, Phil, a bit of a bidding war for the Tony Mio Trophy. They're, they're all wanting it, and Dave Gilbert, you know, is, is insisting that he hosts the event. And of course, I'm absolutely delighted to say that, that he put an extra prize up, hasn't he, for us today, which which I'm so grateful for. An absolutely beautiful cue, Phil. Which we're, we're looking at now. Uh, you, you can maybe put your best descriptive hat on it, Phil. You, you surprised me when you came over with this today. I, and I feel so delighted because um, I actually did want a queue, and this is just the most beautiful queue. Uh, so we thank you, Dave, very much indeed. I'm going to contact uh, him later myself. And I know you will, Phil, to say you know, it's a, such a surprise, and uh, you know, just uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to be bringing this home to London, basically. <laughs> 
It's a lovely piece of wood, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I spoke to Dave, well, and he said, and I said, oh, I could borrow a cue, because he's launching Potter's Snoop Club in Swallowing Coat, Dave's club, which he launched with a couple of friends, doing exceptionally well, great club. And a new part of their business venture is Potter's Cues, uh, and they're doing cases and extensions and paraphernalia, but obviously mainly the cues. And when I knew he was launching it, spoke to him and I said, oh, I could borrow, borrow a cue for you to play in, play in the Tony Mio and give a shout out on the podcast. But he said, no, I'll give you one, but the winner, the winner of the Tony Mio gets to keep it. So when I got it from, from Potter's yesterday, um, I'm delighted to be handing it over to Nick. Um, a bit disappointed. I'm yeah. not going to lie. No. I would love to be having that myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Nick's the worthy winner. And yeah, I mean, if I can describe it, um, lovely sort of what colour would you call that at the bottom? Well, it's part- the butt's got a lovely colour on it. It's partly black, isn't it? I think, and it's kind of a, a couple of different shades of, of of brown and some blue in there as well. It it is a beautiful piece of work, actually. Yeah. I mean. I, I, it's not faux human. I don't really feel worthy of having a cue, especially as this, if I'm honest. Um, I mean, I look after it very carefully. I mean, it's just, I'm, I've always been a boring cue from the club, man, as I, as I did today. So just to have it, and it feels so beautiful, the difference between this and just the average cue. We were playing with some pretty old sticks I mean, today, yeah, weren't we? I, mean, <laughs> I, I just can't... I'm just doing my best, but, you know, I, I consider myself a pretty good man when it comes to language but it's hard to describe the difference it just feels so beautiful and just you just realize kind of what what the pros are handling when they're playing and it must you know must just be lovely for them they're obviously more used to it but it's just yeah lovely and we thank you very much today i'm the proud owner now of a potter q and yeah uh, which i will say as well that i think that it's not launched yet so this is one of the first potter's right. queues that's gone anywhere um 17th of september is when their website's launching so i'll give them a shout then if you're, if you're if you're looking for any any new equipment, then give them a visit. Um, Dave plays well one himself, so he's not flogging sort of daft cues like he's he's using it himself in tournaments. So they're very good. So yeah, shout out to Potters and thanks again for providing a brilliant prize. Tell us about Dave yesterday. You went to see him. What what, what sort of forms forms he in? And um, you know, obviously got some plenty of big matches to come as all the players have with the busy autumn yeah I popped in to see him at the club um, and he, he was telling me he had all sorts of tip problems he was, his tip split and he was um, had a, he had quite a few on in the last two days so he was saying he wasn't going to play well and then he went and beat Dean Young 4-1 and knocked in uh, four big breaks I think one turn and three half centuries so you never know with super players. Sometimes they're like, "Oh, playing dreadful." It's like, their their level of dreadful is not not that bad. So no, he's had some, he's had a lot of good results so far this season. He's playing well, so um, yeah, I think he's going to have a good a good campaign. It's been uh, been pretty reliably good so far. Looked good last night in English Open, so it'll be there in Brentwood. Um, yeah, I mean, he's always moaning about something. He's a bit of a glass half empty character, <laughs> but, but no, he's playing well. Uh, looking good so yeah no. and again thanks for him for being so supportive of the Tony Mio trophy no it's brilliant and good good use of the Tony Mio there from <laughs> you I like that and well we should maybe put the, the old Tony Mio to bed but just say a few a few, a few more bits I, I I did laugh one of the chaps on the it was an older chap and a younger chap and um, they were playing alongside us on one of the tables and one guy was saying oh I've had a bit of a 
know, stressful morning. I've been rushing around doing this, that, and the other. And he said, oh. And his, and his, and his friend said, well, don't worry, you're here now. Have a bit of snooker therapy. I said it to you straight away, Phil. I said, oh, goodness, you know. But I said, a bit cynical of me, I, I, I said, I feel like I need therapy because of snooker. <laughs> it's a bit, a bit of a difference. But I did love that line. But it is, no, it isn't it? I mean, we joke about being, I don't like the heat anyway, so... As much as I say it's silly for me, I wouldn't be outside in this hot sun. I'd be in the shade and I'd be out more in the evening. It's not my cup of tea. But, I mean, there's an element of humour about it. But at the same time, the lads in there, and it was, I say lads, it was mostly lads, wasn't it, today, as it happens. But they, they were enjoying themselves. And, you know, the, the tables were mostly full mm. from the minute I got, and I got there about half 11, quarter to midday. And we, we, it's now, well, gone four o'clock, coming up to five o'clock actually here. And... It was busy all the way, so that's um, you know there are fewer clubs than there used to be, and that's got to be said as well. But just a, just a good healthy sign, eh? Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I think that's the thing. So you have to remember when you play Snooker because obviously it's an incredibly frustrating game at times, but uh, it's supposed to be fun. And a lot of pros, you sort of have to, or pros have to remind themselves about that a lot, about how, about how uh, you know it's a game that they like playing and it's fun. So when you say uh, it's the snooker therapy, sometimes you could go and play for a while and do your head in, but try and enjoy it at least, and at least take the good things. Uh, but yeah, that was funny when... I think it, was, it might have been his dad or even his granddad, that guy, but um, it's always nice to see. Uh, but yeah, no, shout out again to that club. It was busy throughout, um, doing really well. Yeah, I thought it might have been his, well, his dad at one time. The way they, they were talking, they seemed more like mates. I couldn't be sure. This is some sons and dads are very matey, of course. So, it, yeah, it was great to see those guys, and I had a good time. I, I, I did make you laugh a little bit before we were on the air, because I was saying, I think the snooker gods had their say. They, they, they seem to they want me to win, I'm not sure about that, but they seem to be a couple of those late ones running the jaws. And, but I was saying, you know, they, they've helped me. They couldn't help Jimmy all those years ago. And <laughs> I, I'd actually rather they helped Jimmy really yeah well I mean I couldn't say no I, don't, I, I wouldn't I certainly don't put my loss down to luck at all there was, I would if there was luck on both sides it, it even out I don't I certainly don't feel aggrieved um, by the snooping gods I'll be praying <laughs> to them as always tonight and I won't be won't be cursing them brilliant well uh, one more word before we leave I'm not I'm, I'm not saying that the music was, was old, Phil, but at one stage, itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, yellow polka dot bikini yeah. was on the jukebox. So it, it, I, I was uttering the phrase, one for the teenagers, a few times, <laughs> as I know I want to do. Yeah, there was, a, there was quite a lot of old, old stuff. Although there was also, it felt very Manchester, two or three times on Oasis. Oasis came on and they seemed to turn the volume up for Don't Look Back in Anger and stuff, which I was really enjoying. Yeah. Just felt very authentic being here. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I'm fine with the old tunes, that's all right. Um, and then, but then, I mean, it was really quite unpredictable, wasn't it? Some, then it would suddenly go silent for about 15 minutes, <laughs> deadly silent, and then it would burst back in with a very sort of early 80s track at full volume. <laughs> so it was a little bit unpredictable, but quite entertaining nonetheless. It was a real snooker experience. We couldn't have wished for a more authentic snooker day in many ways. And, well, Phil, we, we can't be talking... Much as, much as I'd like to talk about Tony Mio for a long, long time, I think it is now time, 20-odd uh, minutes in, to, to, to move on and perhaps talk other snooker matters. Well, we mentioned qualifying. I think there were, there were a few more matches. I've just got our friend snooker.org up here. A few more uh, Wuhan qualifiers after we... 
uh, last spoke for it. I'll turn this towards you so we can both have a look at it. And well, it was a good win for Ian Burns, wasn't it? Beat Ricky Walden 5-3. And uh, looking at it else here, Liam Highfield had a thumping 5-1 win against Jimmy White. Uh, John Higgins had no problems. He beat Dylan Emery at 5-1. Really good match. Marco Fool gets our same Vafai. Uh, Marco winning that 5-4. Uh, and, uh, well, we enjoyed the the, 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 the Wuhan Open, but, but yeah, Marco Fool, I'll say, that's a, a real notable one. Yeah, that's not a catching first round, isn't it? Qualifying match. I mean, Marco Fool being uh, down at 100 odd in the world is such an outlier, isn't it? Because... Obviously, he's not nearly as consistent or as good, really, as he used to be, but he can obviously turn it on when he wants. Not when he wants. <laughs> I'm sure he'd want two more often, but he can turn it on sometimes. Um, so, yeah, a bit of a shocker of a draw of a, a saying there. I watched a bit of Burns against Walden, actually. Um, uh, Walden gave a table leg thump at one point, which showed how frustrated and not like him, really. Um, but then I also saw a clip doing the rounds on Twitter, a video clip of an interview with BBC Lancashire with Ian Burns. He's from Preston. Um, so that's a nice little bit of coverage. You know, as someone who probably doesn't get a lot of, a lot of mainstream interviews, so uh, good to see stuff like that. But um, yeah, there was some interesting stuff going on. Another one for Steve McGuire, I can see on there. Um, yeah, no, it was another week of qualifiers. The first of fives feel significantly more significant than the first of fours. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, they do. Uh, there's only one they more do, frame for do, the win, do, but they, they feel do. a lot bigger, don't they? And it's only one away from first to six, and I always seem to reference in my head, uh, I always seem to reference in my head that Graeme Dot, who said once said they were proper matches, I thought, well, if Graeme Dot's saying they're mm. proper matches, Phil, then... You know, the, 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 we have something going there. We should say English Open qualifying is going on as we speak. Just having a look at some of the live scores here, and uh, maybe get some of the results up as well from, from throughout this week. Phil, you, you, I, I, my, my snooker.org etiquette here is pretty poor, isn't it? But eventually, I'm, I'm helping. I'm helping us out there by getting it up, and maybe we'll have a look through some of these. I mean, well, Ricky Walden soon bounced back. He had a thumping four 0 win. You said about. It's quite unpredictable. You're thumping for the one against Jordan Brown. That's kind of what the season's like so far, isn't it? A little bit. You know, I mean, it, perhaps inevitable at these early stages, but the result's kind of unpredictable. There was no, no problems for Xiao Guidong. He beat Tian Peng Fei at 4-1. And uh, Wan Sejun had a win, thumping win 4-0 against Aaron Hill. And Dylan Emery beat Nock on Sankan. That's one that comes to mind. That's a great win, yeah. 4-2. And uh, I guess it's the eight today. That would have been this afternoon, then. Yes, it was. Yeah, Friday afternoon. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really. Hard. I mean, Walden is such a good case study there. I mean, slow. Then it, he actually did all right at the European Masters. Then and looked poor again. Then to beat John Brown four 0 That's a great result. Um, yeah, looking at those, those games. I actually watched a bit of Louis Louis Heathcote play. Rory Thor played really well there. Um, Gary Wilson against Pangshun, who was a stinker of a first rounder for both oh, of them yeah. as well. Um, and a good <laughs> win for Gary, actually, because he's had a slow start to season. Yeah, yeah. So he's done well to, to win that 4-3. Um, yeah, another one. <laughs> the top 16 sort of going straight to the venue, but then you can really get some... And another one there, Zhu Yulong against Ben Wollaston. No one's going to be jumping... Neither of them are going to be happy with that first round draw. Ben's... Usually so reliable winning those first rounds, but Zoe Long won that one. But um, oh, uh, Julian Leclerc, I've seen now. I watched, I watched a bit of that actually. Yeah, he beat Jiang Jun 4 0. 
Um, he's a powerful player. I think I tweeted that, that he gives everything a good whack. <laughs> and, you know, that's it's not always a good thing, is it? You're not supposed to smash everything into the back of the pocket, but yeah. it, that, that thud of, at the back of the pocket of the leather, um, Leclerc is very reliable for producing that very nice sound. He powers it in. He looked really good there. Um, so, yeah, the, the young Belgian lads add that to Ben Mertens beating Sean Murphy in the Wuhan qualifiers as well. Um, the two of them are increasingly looking very good. Yeah, definitely. Bad result for Joe Perry again, unfortunately, losing 4 1 to Mark Davis. And looking at some of the other results here, uh, Martin Gould uh, got himself through, beating John Ashley 4 uh, 2. And uh, well, the same with Fire, no problem on this occasion, beating Liam Graham 4 0. Uh, maybe let's move days then and see what's some what. Uh, Liam Pullum played really well. Sorry, just saw that on the screen. Yeah. He beat the American Ahmed. Uh, sorry, just going. Yeah, Ahmed Al Al Said. Um, but I think he made a big break in all four of those frames. Win four nil. Um, oh, and Anthony McGill because he'd lost. Um, he'd he'd only so the English Open was only his third game of the season and he won it. But he'd lost his previous two, and the second one in Wuhan was Ishbri Sinkada the new Indian player on mm. tour. It does look good, but it was a, a shock to beat McGill. Um, so he did well to get, get his first win on the board against Anshu Jane there to get to to get to Brentwood. And actually, while we were playing earlier, I mentioned that Maguire-Wells game, didn't I? Because mm. um, that was <laughs> oh, yeah. quite remarkable. It was a good game. Um, went to the deciding frame, 3-3. And then Maguire got a quite remarkable fluke on his first red. And then cleared the table. 131 total clearance. <laughs> so, unbelievable stuff, really. Yeah. Wells have played well all game. He's had a good season so far. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If you get a fluke, you know, sorry, sorry, mate. That was, um, that was lucky for me, but make the most of it if you can. And that was making the most of it. I, I don't know what made me think of this. It's not exactly linked, but great timing from you. You've got a red and a black. What did you say? I fancied a max there. <laughs> Yeah, I think you missed the next red. He said to me, straight face, Phil. That's proper comedy. That's what you do. Deadpan. Anyone out there interested in comedy? <laughs> it's all about deadpan. I fancied a match there. Well, yeah, I think, I think that was the one frame. I, I, I potted a medium to long red and then a black and then had a pretty straightforward red and would have been on the black. And I don't think we've mentioned, I think the high break of the day was 17. You're 17. I think it would, it would have been. I don't, did I get? Oh, I did get a third red, and I had a chance for another black. I think didn't I as well? Memory serves. So I had a chance for another colour. Was it? Yeah. A, was it a third black? I had a chance for. I yeah, I did. So, yeah. I don't normally get five balls in a row. That was that was quite yeah. good. So, people, um, people listening, they go, "This is so low brow." Our friend Dave Tyndall's listening. Oh, we started yeah. making centuries. I'm literally like doing high fives with the locals are getting five balls in a row I mean this is really low grade stuff we it? did sort of I mean we did get sort of a lot of three or fours balls in a row I think I got 16 you got 17 but I mean when when I potted a red and black and said I fancy the backs there that's how ridiculous that suggestion was yeah, yeah no, <laughs> because I think people have got that any more than uh, two reds and blacks we were absolutely delighted <laughs> very much so we should say Matt Sell Alfie Burden Film. Many people, I think, would have seen the video of that. Um, we were discussing it earlier, weren't we, when, when we during our, our match, the, the Tony Mio, that Alfie Burden losing the frame on the three miss rule. It was crazy to do. I mean, that that's it. Just happens. You do see it from time to time. He went for the same kind of relatively slow-paced shot again. He was in an awful lot of trouble, clearly. You know, but 
he didn't mix it up and lost the frame and uh, sell one four two. I did hear, did see a few people saying that it it wasn't the most appetising watch at times because they're both they're both at loud, aren't they? They're both <laughs> loud moaners, aren't they? In, in the nicest possible way, as many snooker players are. They're, they'll both call each other out, you know, not each other out, but they'll both call, they'll call themselves, they're themselves out. out. They're calling yeah, themselves they're out, but yeah, that's yeah. important. They'll both say, oh, good shot, mate, you know, that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. They'll, they'll, do, they'll do that. And um, <laughs> it was, but that was, a, yeah, a bit of a painful watch, really, but, uh, you know, because I think they're, they're always awful, really. But, but we should mention, yeah, Dave Gilbert, who, who beat um, Dean Young at uh, 4-1. And looking at the other results, you know, Alan Taylor's picked up a few good results early this season. He beat Jack Jones 4-3. Great result there. Yeah, terrific. And uh, you mentioned Maguire and Wells, uh, Chris Wakelin, friend of the podcast, who isn't these days, beat Lou Haushan 4-1. Stephen Hendry, who, um, yeah, he's still playing snooker, um, but he, he lost 4-0 to Fergal O'Brien. And Jackson Page for Ken Doherty nil. Jackson giving a much older man there a bit of a, a bit of a, not I'd say lesson. I think he was a former world champion a lesson, but uh, he certainly got the better of him in handsome fashion there. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I didn't see that game, but yeah, that was a resounding win. As was Fergal against Stephen. Really, um, I think a, a notable one there. Just looking at the results, uh, Lily beating Tepchaya four one is quite unexpected, and also Zhang Ander four Ben Burton's nil. Zhang Ander one of them. Hardest predict to predict players because when he's playing well, he, he's great, but he could lose any first round. Mertens in his previous game beat Murphy, so I'd imagine Mertens might have been favourite for that. Lose four 0 I think Zhang actually made a load of breaks in that as well. So he played really well. Um, there is a handful of players on tour like that, isn't it? They, 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 can, they can do anything, and they can they can lose to anyone. They can beat almost anyone. Yeah, it's great and. Um, yeah, it's just very unpredictable. He had that stat for a while where he'd been to the Crucible three times but never been in the top 64 in the rankings, which is actually very difficult to do considering the ranking points you get for getting to the Crucible. And that just shows how unpredictable he is. He can pull off all sorts of results but lose to anyone at any time. So, yeah, um, as I say, there's a handful of players like that, but Zhang Hander certainly fits into the horrible-to-predict category. Definitely, and you're right to pinpoint those breaks here. I just check myself. 101, 59, 56, 55 and well, Ben Mertens really didn't uh, trouble the scores too much in the match at all so ex- excellent uh, uh, stuff from him, good scoring and yeah, interesting set of results qualifying continues, live on Discovery and uh, and of course we're building up to now Phil, aren't we, to the, what we talked about in some detail last time which is uh, the Shanghai Masters underway Monday, really looking forward to it aren't we, some cracking action we said it before, loads of you know, top, top players in the morning for us. So interesting. And, uh, but we're glad, aren't we? Because you know, we've got to say it. We're so lucky here. We're spoiled. We don't want all the events to be here. Far from it. We want to spread the wings. We're delighted that the sport's going back to the Far East. And uh, snooker over cornflakes, Phil. <laughs> in the old Selena Scott and, and Frank Boff uh, slot. That's one for the teenagers. I mean, that's beyond me, but yeah, I'll, I'll trust you on that one. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'd, I think I looked at this the other day, and I think I'm right in saying there's sort of three sessions. One of those is very early morning. Probably most people here wouldn't be getting up for that. But there's one at sort of breakfast time. There's one at sort of mid morning. So we do get to watch a lot of the action. Um, actually, quite nice times for us. Although having said that, I always forget that 
I'm a journalist that works from home, so I can do this all the time. <laughs> a lot of people are stuck in offices and can't necessarily watch Snooker at 10 in the morning. But um, if you have the chance to watch it, I think they're at not too bad a time. So, yeah, no, really looking forward to that. It's always sort of a big, glitzy, glamorous, classy event. So, uh, yeah, a, a, a departure from playing those qualifiers in a cubicle in front of no one in Leicester, which, you know, does a job, but it's not quite, it's not quite the Shanghai Masters, is it? <laughs> No, it isn't. Uh, but uh, for now, Shanghai round the corner, English Open uh, qualifying continues. And we should say, you are listening here to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we are coming to you live from Manchester, where we just played the Tony Mio trophy. Who, who won that again? No, I'm joking. That, that's not my style. That's not nice. You can. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely is your style <laughs> brilliant that yeah, touche touche Phil Haig um, let's move on it's your views isn't it it's uh, and Phil Spivey I feel bad now I shouldn't have done it I shouldn't have done that it's Phil Spivey first up here hi Nick and Phil uh, I'm writing to show appreciation for two of your recent episodes the one with John Higgins was exceptional one of the most enjoyable snooker interviews I've ever heard. I could have listened for another few hours. I particularly appreciated the way you handled the discussion about John's suspension in 2010. It was very tactfully done. You allowed John to open up about his side of the story, but also treated him with respect and dignity in not pushing him to say more than he was comfortable with at this point. It will certainly be interesting if the full story is ever revealed. Your whole interview with him was a credit to your profession. I also enjoyed the episode with Chris Wakelin. It's always interesting to hear the perspective of players who are not at the very top of the rankings. To me, Chris exemplifies the strength in depth on the main tour. He is such a good player, an excellent break builder on his day, yet his record at reaching the latter stages of tournaments is quite modest. That is no criticism of him, but it shows how hard it is to win tournaments if a player as good as him struggles to get beyond last 16s, etc. Uh, again, though, you really got the best of him. Let's hope his shootout victory is the start of better things. Well, I think I and we think it will be. We'd love to hear from other players 
Phil says, who are perhaps not as well known to the general public. Keep up the good work, guys. Well, thank you for that, Phil. Yeah, we do try and have a mixture, don't we? Some of the players that are, we think will get better and better in the years to come, some of the you know, biggest stars in the game. And uh, But we're really grateful for that. And I think we are proud of the John Higgins episode, Phil. Um, I think it's probably my number one, just about taking the place of the John Virgo episode. We did have to think long and hard, didn't we, about how we approached those events of 2010. And I think we're generally satisfied with how we did that. And we're glad to hear your compliments. Phil, they do mean a lot to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Phil's regular emailer always <laughs> always talks to us Spence, especially when he's saying how great we are. So, yeah. um, no, I thought they, they were both a lot of fun to do. John was fantastic, wasn't he? Um, it's one of those people that we've heard him interviewed, you know, endless times I mean, he's been around for so long but I think it was nice to get such a long amount of time with him it was very generous of him and yeah Chris was great Barry was great last, last week I thought um, so yeah no, we're, we're always treated to have these guys on uh, very generous with their time and uh, you know hard not to like I think most players um, so yeah <laughs> thanks for that Phil um, it's Adam Fisher uh, hi Nick Phil long time listener first time writer super podcast question for you both with a lack of snooker-related books out there, would you consider writing a snooker book in the future? If so, what about? If not, what as-yet-unwritten snooker books would you like to read or encourage, encourage others to write about? Thanks, chaps. All the best. Anton. Um, well, I mean, yeah, personally, I'd love to, I'd love to write a book at some point. Uh, I still feel sort of relatively new in this industry, so I'm not in any rush to do it, but, yeah, I'd love to, love to do one at some point. I'm not sure what about. Have you any thoughts on this? Um, I've got thoughts on what I'd be interested in. I don't, I, I don't feel inclined to, 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 to do a snooker book. I must must be honest at this, at this current time. I mean, that, that, I guess that might change, but no. So certainly for me, no, no particular plans at all. But I have to say, this is just a personal thing. I think you know me long enough now, and know me well enough, Phil. I do love the sort of broadcasting side of most sports, so that would be something that I I would love to sort of just find out more about. I think, and you know, the, the various sort of tidbits and bits of information over the years and the various people that have done it, some of the forgotten names. Like I think, you know, <laughs> just things like Shaw Taylor, I mean, I joke about one for the teenagers, but Police Five, a very, very old programme that you know, I, used to, I used to watch as a boy and we all did. You know, conversating on snooker, just little things like that. I love the television side of it, who's presented, the different channels, how it started. Obviously, we you know, it started with Pop Black, but how it developed and you know that that's something that I would be particularly you know interested perhaps to, to sort of some, someone to delve more into but yeah we should say you know of course remind people Phil that while there is a dearth generally of books um, not this year we're very lucky aren't we we've had um, everyone the, those three big writers that, that have um, going to test myself now Phil <laughs> Luke G. Williams of course yeah. and uh, our good friend Brenda Cooper and John Skilbeck who have all written really good books all enjoyable in their own right so that we, we encourage you all to look up that uh, of course uh, Brendan uh, philosophising about all kinds of parts of life isn't he and it's, it's really it's really a really wonderful book uh, Luke G. Williams writing about Patsy Hoonahan and John Skilbeck about the 1982 World Championship and that win for Alex Higgins so listen and uh, we know David Hendon our good friend and colleague is, uh, is, is writing one through and that's bound to be a you know a, an outstanding tone with everything Dave touches you know tends to you know just just have the mark of excellence so we look forward to that but you're right 
and Brendan does explore, doesn't he? And he did when he came on with us, why that might be. It is a frustration because I know I follow a, a range of sports and some of the sports that I've, I would think are, are equal in terms of sort of standing and, and history have a lot more literature as one of those things. But it's been corrected in, in recent times, it should be said, to some extent. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they've been, they've all three of those guys you just mentioned been excellent guests on this podcast, and uh, yeah, really good stuff from those guys. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm in no stage of any of that, but uh, certainly I, I'd be disappointed if I ended a career without a book about something. Um, I, I really want to do that at some point. No specific ideas at the minute, but yeah, because um, I agree with what Brendan was saying. He he made that point when he wrote his book that. We're not, we're not blessed with loads and loads of snooker books and I think there probably should be more um, whether that be you know autobiographies that's the obvious one but he took it from such a unique angle that Deep Pockets was amazing on that front um, so yeah no uh, the question if, you, if, if, if one of us would like to then certainly from my point of view I would like to and I would intend to at some point in my career but no time soon but um, at some point I'm sure that'll happen good man Let's move on to Martin Eccles then, who says, Hi, gentlemen. Just a quick reminder to say how brilliant your podcast is. The longer ones, the better. Anyway, another new book, Phil. I didn't really know about this, I have to say. I'm reading the new book, Snooker's Bad Boys. A great read with some really interesting stories with the greats of the game, from Higgins to Davis and beyond. A must-read for us snooker nuts. Regards, Martin. Well, uh... We've had some bad boys over the years in this sport, we feel. We're not, we're, we're not sport for choice when it comes to bad boys. No, I didn't know about that book, actually. I, I Googled it when I saw that email, and uh, there's Jimmy and Ronnie and Alex on the front cover, and I'm sure there's also tales of disrepute in there. Um, but I'm sure, uh, yeah, I don't, I, other than Googling and looking at Amazon, reading some good reviews, to be fair, um, I've not read it, but um, good, uh, good uh, recommendation from Martin there. Um, so yeah, might may well pick that one up. This is from Gaz One Four Seven. It was such a shame to see John Higgins lose another big match in the signing frame to Judd Trump at the European Masters. As he said on the podcast, it really seems like his nerve might be going in those situations. Did we say that? No, we may we may have said that. Um, Mark Williams seems to be the same. Do you think we'll start seeing it more with Ronnie O'Sullivan too? Um, yeah, I think we have seen. I mean, we have, haven't we? We've seen them lose big. John and Mark lost quite a few big games in deciding frames, haven't they? Very close games. I don't think we haven't seen that so much from Ronnie. I suppose that's the question. Do you think that's going to come? I don't know. I can't really. There will be there will be some time to bring this up, but I can't remember too many times Ronnie seems to buckle to pressure. Is that, can you think of an obvious occasion of that? N- not really. I mean, it, he's been shocked. He lost to Jordan and Fan and didn't deliver in those deciders when nearly everyone would have said he would have done. Yeah. But that's not that's not buckling. That's just losing to good performances. Yeah, I don't remember him sort of missing a shot there. No. Like, oh, well, he's bottled it there. No. Quite the opposite in some ways. I mean, those World Championships he won, he, he wasn't at his peerless best for a lot of 20 or 22 really I mean he, he came from behind loads in 20 Ding Mark Williams Selby famously in the semi and this last one Johnny you know he didn't he knuckled down really I mean I think in fairness we, maybe not we I, I did say that people are starting to say that John's losing that sort of nerve, high level nerve and I said I think that's fair to say that's probably a case for that now actually because 
he's losing a lot on the Mark Williams has lost a lot I mean it does happen I mean if you go back throughout their career there'll be times when they lost a few deciders in a random time when they were much younger so I, I, I think I'd still want to see even more evidence actually before we start in the, totally writing them off but I also do think that that high level nerve and killer instinct probably will go that's just inevitable it, it sounds silly but it reminds me I don't know why I've got Neil Foles in my head I think he, when he joined us he was sort of saying that this applies across all life really that when you get older sadly which it wasn't the case you do worry about a lot more you're so much more fearless I feel it in my, my own self you know so, so much more fearful and, and risks are much harder so the, the fear fearlessness of youth isn't it That's yeah I think so so it's a bit of that but no, we haven't seen it so much with Ronnie we, we might do but I think what we should say as well Ronnie's obviously won two as I mentioned two recent two of the last four world titles Williams has won big events in recent times Higgins won the players championship in 21 and has reached a, a hatful of finals over the last couple of years so you know we'll see I mean they're still doing very very well as you rightly said about John at you know, a couple of weeks ago on here you know, his worries he voiced to us about the top 16 well that's not going to be worried for him if he carries on playing like he is even in these early weeks of the season he'll be absolutely fine on that regard and let's move on then to uh, Daniel who says I'm going to both the British Open at Cheltenham and English Open in Brentwood I'm planning to go to the UK and York too it feels like ages since there were tournaments to go to especially as the Championship League is behind closed doors really looking forward to being in the snooker crowd again and I was thinking you know it's right that because it's sort of getting on for half a year really since Sheffield now so many fans that you know here in the UK I know we're sport but nevertheless there's been a gap really looking forward to going back to tournaments again this autumn and into the winter and I was thinking I'm hoping to to make it uh, down to to Brentwood on one of the afternoons or evenings there because the feel as we know obviously to say we love talking about it you know on this podcast you know nattering away about it when we see each other and television's wonderful way of covering the game but nothing beats being at the tournaments no definitely yeah um, yeah it's a shame for qualifying I know, I know people can go to some of the qualifiers they go to the UK obviously the world's qualifying it's brilliant to go to um, but yeah qualifying just take quite a long calendar you know there's, a, there's sort of a bit of smoke and mirrors when powers that be say are the calendar's very full and actually quite a lot of it is uh, two or maybe four tables at a time qualifiers behind closed doors so it's pretty low key stuff so it would be nice if players could if people could go in there and watch some of that because you know some of the games we talk about there you know Hussein Fai against Marco Fu people would pay to go and watch that live wouldn't they that doesn't need to be behind closed doors um, and the weirdest thing about it really is that when you watch it there's sort of two rows of seats um, so there's places I mean there must be reasons why they don't do it but um, there, are, there are seats for people to go and watch even if it's 40-50 people at a time you know um, so it would be nice to, to, the whole, for the whole tour the whole season to be able to for fans to go and watch but yeah big tournaments coming up though so there's plenty of opportunity for that I'm going to be there on the Monday in Cheltenham actually going down the, the opening day of the British Open um, it's a stellar day huge names in action throughout as it is on the first day in Brentwood which I might be at too but I'm not sure uh, but I'll certainly be at Cheltenham um, so yeah plenty to look forward to there There's, um, well we've spoken about loads about the opening day of Home Nations just the top 16 um, what a day that is for 
often a tenner or 15 quid or something. Um, and yeah, that open, yeah, the British Open looks great as well. So yeah, I'll be at, le- at least for that, if not both. Um, so hopefully see you there. Um, it's from Rob. Um, he says, the live scoring on the WSC website has been a total mess so far this season. A couple of pundits have already pointed out that a shiny new system will be in place for the UK Championship and have suggested it will probably be working perfectly for that. It feels like certain events are looked after far better than others. Um, yeah, fair enough. I, I, I mean, there's no real defence to this live scoring problem. It's been pretty atrocious, hasn't it? And throughout the summer, we were hearing, oh, it's going to be in place by November. It's just, I found that so timid. You know, if you if you get a new website, get a new soaring system, we had a month, two months off after the championship. That should be more than enough time to sort something like that out. To say, from you know, the world championship ends at the start of May. For you to be saying, well, this is going to be sorted by November. It's not really good enough in my in my mind. So that is a long time. And uh, if it took more money throwing at the problem, then it should be have done. Uh, you know, to, to for it to be not working or half working. It's not very good for quite a number of months until what is deemed as the next big tournament, the UK Championship. Even though there's quite a few what we would consider big tournaments before that, uh, pretty poor in my mind. Um, and it's just another of these things where, you know, when you consider yourself like a big global sport, I don't think any other sport in that category would come out with, oh, we're doing this, we'll be ready in four months. It's just, it's just it's shabby stuff, really, isn't it? So, yeah. Um, we often do, I think a lot of criticisms about things are harsh. Wilson, who could do to try the best on most things, um, and we will defend them when they need defending. But I think that whole live scoring thing has been pretty awful. Um, so, I'm not going to defend Not going to defend too many people on that myself. <laughs> well, as, as that. Defend the indefensible. That's a, that's a round in a popular radio uh, show, isn't it? Fighting talk, and that, 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 that probably falls into that category with this. No, it's not been good enough, definitely. And there's no massive excuse for it, really. And yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's up and running properly for the UK. Let, let's hope that is the case. I mean, I know others, and some very good judges have said that there is a feeling that sometimes WST would. Would, would pay a bit more you know, attention and a bit more due love and care over over some events rather than others. It's a difficult, difficult thing. Some of that goes to, not conspiracy theory, but it's quite difficult to kind of pr- prove that necessarily. I mean, look at the Tour Championship. Look how hard they're working to promote that. Moving it to Harlock here didn't work. Now moving it here where we are in Manchester. You know, so they are working on other events as well. And, you know... Northern Ireland has been built, built up brilliantly and the, the Welsh has got great history we know that and they're moving that around looking for a good place so I, I don't think it's you know, but I do think the Triple Crown events are probably the ones looked after the most of all I mean they're our biggest events you'd argue so it's a bit of a circle I guess some people would say well they're, they're the biggest and the best because they've worked on more but yeah I mean what I will say Phil you know putting any cynicism aside Let's hope it really is good for November. I, I, you know, I'm going to look at the view. I think it probably will be yeah. uh, when it comes in because 
you know, just, all we want to do as snooker fans and snooker people is just a couple of clicks, ideally one, but maybe two, and then just look at the latest score and then go on with the rest of our day. Yeah, yeah. As I said before, it's not much just for, you know, um, I think we're beautifully served in some ways, you know, being able to watch every match qualifying on the stream, a really good stream. Um, it's great, you know. Not too long ago, that wasn't an option to watch one table. No, mind every every match from the first round in a qualifying game. Um, so in some ways, things have progressed brilliantly. But that seems to have regressed, and we know what's happened. Like they've they've got rid of the old system. They're waiting for the new system to come in. But you know, it just seems it's not it's not good <laughs> to have months months of a gap between this new system coming in. You know, that should for such a massive. Uh, organisation, supposedly hugely successful global sport, there shouldn't be that thing. So, um, yeah, I'm sure it will be. It has definitely improved since the start of the season when, you know, it didn't work at all. So it's going the right way. I'm sure it will be fine by November. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, no one could argue it's not been good enough. I think that's just a fact. I think so, yeah. We've got a couple more here, Phil. Uh, this is from Mark. Hello, Nick and Phil. I am from Minneapolis in the USA. I discovered snooker back during COVID when I was looking to sharpen my pool skills and a Ronnie O'Sullivan 147 video was recommended to me on YouTube. I found the game very intriguing and started following it here and there, but didn't give it much mind. One fateful Sunday afternoon changed that, however, when I made the decision to watch a long match for the first time. The match I chose to watch was the 2019 Tour Championship semi-final between Ronnie and Judd, as it was recommended to be one of the best matches of the last five years. It was a match that had everything from centuries and total clearances to three frames in a row going over half an hour, and even Ronnie tying his shoes. Since I watched that match, I've been hooked ever since and love it almost as much as American football. Before I leave you two, I do have one question. Has World Snooker attempted to host events in my country, or do they have any plans currently? Travelling to England for a tournament isn't on the cards for me at the moment. Anyway, I thoroughly enjoy the podcast. Keep up the excellent work. Great to hear from you, Mark. We love any international listeners, particularly for the United States. I got to know Minneapolis well for my recent visits there for, for big sporting events. So, um, great to hear from you. And as for events in America, Phil, I mean, we often hear whispers, don't we, and positive noises about a possible tournament there. I wouldn't be surprised if we do hear about one in the hopefully you know, not-too-distant future, when that is specifically, um, you know, we'll have to wait and see. We do, of course, have a, a successful women's event now at the Ox Billiards Club in Seattle. And we should say, Phil, we got a nice message, didn't we, from David Burney, during the live commentary of the US Nationals in, uh, over recent days. Uh, can we say we've cracked America, or is that, that too strong? We've, we've uh, made an appearance on American Airwaves. If you can say that, I mean, it's YouTube. But from America, anyway. But, yeah, um, yeah. another great shout-out to David Burney. And uh, I think everyone on this, who listens to this podcast knows my love of trophies. The US Nationals had a delightful trophy. I don't know if you saw it. Um, but, yeah, it was great. Um, so in terms of a tournament there, um, I don't think I don't think we've had one ever. I don't know, but apart from the women's who are doing a great job over there in Seattle, um, 
but yeah, there's there's been murmurings, haven't there? There's been uh, there's been talk. I think that was one of Dave Henderson's predictions at the start of the season that might get a tournament over there. So Dave usually knows what he's on about. So uh, you know, it might not be too far away, but you know, the fact that people in America listen to this podcast shows that there's growing interest over there. I suppose that's got to be encouraging, isn't it? Very encouraging, and we love hearing from our American listeners. You know, there's no reason. I think I said it before. Uh, you know, I'm not an expert, clearly, but I do watch quite a bit of American sport. I spend quite a bit of time in America. I don't buy this idea that the American psyche cannot deal with longer sport, long form sport. They follow baseball; it goes on for hours. They play 160 games a season. You know, there's an absolutely yeah, okay. There is a, sometimes a bit more of a, a decisive verdict kind of culture to their sports, which is why they always say, oh, they wouldn't be able to cope with draws in chess cricket. But this thing they can't do with long-form sport in America is, is in my opinion, totally wrong. So, mm. yep, there's no reason why, you know, Americans cannot embrace snooker more. It's a hugely competitive market in the United mm. States. Let's be clear, there are so many massive sports competing with each other. But listen, you know, you've got to start somewhere. And as you say, we do have listeners. And also, and Dave's podcast regularly has correspondence from, from the United States so we say hello to you all great to have you listening mm-hmm. stateside and uh, yeah keep up the good work in, in your own communities and your own uh, you know states over there in, in kind of spreading the word and you know Paul unfortunately Paul which nothing against Paul it's a Q sport is massive there that's mm-hmm. always taken such a sort of priority feel yeah. Paul Halls and people playing the game and that's great but we just want a little bit more on the on the bigger tables. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think we're about to crack it into like make it a massively big thing. But darts, darts has done very well recently there. That's, that's you know, they've always played darts over there, but the PDC made big strides quite recently. Had tournaments at Madison Square Garden. They got some big journalists who don't normally cover darts to get into it, and uh, yeah, they've made huge strides over there. So you know, darts still gets compared a lot in some markets, but it's obviously completely different but you know if they could do it snooker can to <laughs> potentially as well so it'd be great to see uh, we'll move on to Matthew who's a bit of an essay here so we'll dig straight in hi both hope you're keeping well just some thoughts on the never ending crucible debate I've been to the crucible many times over the years being fortunate to from Sheffield and despite having been going since 2000 it never ceases to be a thrill or privilege to sample snooker at our greatest tournament in what is our most iconic venue. Many others who have been going longer than I will say the same, I'm sure. As I've said before, the more I read, the more I hear on the grapevines about the potential of leaving the crucible, the more concerned that I become that it's now firmly in the mind of RST to move the championship away from Sheffield. I, being from Sheffield, naturally don't want to see the World Championship leave Sheffield. And I do think that it will be a sad day if, I don't say where, I daren't say when, the tournament does leave the one place non-snooker followers recognise in our sport. Sheffield clearly doesn't have a God-given right to save the, t- save the tournament, obviously, and there is potential that it came to, to it. There are some venues who, which could take the World Championship and it would be a potentially positive move. The Temperdrome would be a good shout if the tournament left the UK, for example. When the PDC moved their World Championship from the Circus Tavern to Alexandria Palace in 2008, it didn't seem to do their event much harm at all. Uh, moving the World Championship only will work if it's to the benefit of snooker in general. 
Whilst finance is important, it's not the end of all arguments. A world championship will only be a good proposition if there is a crowd to support it and won't be a huge attraction to the casual viewer if there are a handful of souls around the table, regardless of if the event gets a seven-figure first prize. As I said on Twitter, this may be an unfair criticism of WST, but it has almost seemed to me this time WST seemed to be trying to manoeuvre circumstances into making a move away from the crucible palatable seemingly wanting the foot in both camps as to move the tournament but reluctant to cop the blame and thus increasing their demands required on Sheffield as a host city despite what Sheffield City Council already commits to the event up to a level which Sheffield cannot reach thus giving WST the reason they need to move the tournament or am I just creating a conspiracy theory? Alas, the old crucible debate I don't think is going to end any time soon Best wishes, Matthew um, Well, a lot of fair points there, Nick, wasn't there? Not very much so. Um, yeah, we, uh, I've got to know Matthew actually in, in recent times. Really, always interesting on social media. One of those guys that I think absolutely loves sport. Just an absolute undistilled love of sport, which I do appreciate actually. And uh, you know, obviously a proud Sheffield man. But you know, some some nuanced views there. I mean, look, I've never made any you know, suggestion otherwise or hidden the fact that I'm a a crucible man and I sort of am through and through really my, my issue is um, the same I've never been presented with what I think is a really really good or special alternative and you know I understand the increasing noise about it going there and I joked on Twitter recently you know about how you know it's very quickly seems to have gone from that we're never moving here in a million years to it's inevitable it's going to it's going to happen I mean yeah it does seem like the noises are going that way I'm not particularly happy about the the links with Saudi Arabia. I, I, I'm not happy about that in any sport, really. Uh, and I, I can I can already sense, you know, there's a feeling of well, you know, if nobody else is going to take a moral stand, then why should we? But I suppose the, the way I'd turn that round is say why 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 shouldn't we or why couldn't we? But listen, these are all, you know, maybe as we come towards the end of this episode, maybe an issue we can explore more you know in a, in a future episode but you know, generally speaking I'd like it to stay at the crucible I understand the reasons why people now think it's not a big enough venue there's more money to be made elsewhere it's down to money it's down to money while they might go to Saudi Arabia it's all down to money um, and, and not to pick on snooker that's why golf are, are going there and that's why these footballers are going for extraordinary money Phil you know okay Jordan Henderson will say it's not for money but <laughs> far bit you know I think most of us don't quite I mean we're not, we're not inside his head but a lot of us aren't buying that are we? No, you know what I mean there, yeah. it, it's a lot down to money but you know it's not just about Saudi it's you know we don't know where it's going to go but I've always been a crucible man through and through I still am but you know I understand that Rightly or wrongly, it does seem now that that it might well go from there. You know, when the, when the contract's up, it'll, and it'll be a wrench after half a century. But the same token, you know, I also don't buy that the, the event's finished and the, it'll never be special again because you know that's not one thing. One one little thing I would like to say. And I've heard a couple others say this recently. I said it myself. That, that we should also, while I'm saying I love the Crucible, I wanted to stay there. We should get away from the idea that it's not, you know, it, it's like these other places like Lords and Wembley and 
and, and Wimbledon they're all absolutely entirely different examples in some ways because they're unrecognisable from when I was growing up Phil Wimbledon's literally different it's not mm. the old Twin Towers stadium it's a different stadium Wimbledon is you know, got a roof on, on centre and one now they've been rebuilt that's one, one in particular many the other courts have been rebuilt and apart from the members end of the ground when I first went to Lords decades ago it's different it's a different place there are new stands new... so the Crucible is the only place that's unchanged and unfortunately maybe in you know in the never changing sporting world it's not changed enough and, it, and, and, and as we know the old thing Lords is a cricket ground Wimbledon is a tennis venue Wembley is a football venue they are for those sports Crystal is not for snooker it is for 17 days and we're, we're great. it's great when we're there but all, the rest of the year it's a theatre for the people of Sheffield I'm, I'm doing a lot of waffling here Phil hopefully I'm making some sense oh, no, absolutely yeah, no, it makes perfect sense but, um, yeah and I think the point, the point is what I've said on here before and I think we agree that I think what we would like to see is just the Crucible adapt and it wouldn't need to, you know, they're talking about one eight, two and a half thousand, three thousand seats. I think if the Crucible could get in five hundred more seats, then that would actually be enough to win the argument. If you could just adapt the Crucible to squeeze in two or three more rows of seats and some hospitality, then the powers that be would accept that and stay where they are, just a slightly bigger venue. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I've, I'm actually working on a piece of this. I spoke to someone at Sheffield City Council this week, um, and they're desperate to keep it. Um, you know, Sheffield are very keen to keep hold of the tournament. They're in discussions with WST um, about what needs to be done. Um, I said to them, you know, I spoke to them about Barry Hearn doing that interview with Stephen Hendry, where he said he's asked them for a new venue. They were clear they've not had any formal requests for a new venue, but it has come up in discussions. Um, and they're working on it, and there's going to be a bidding process uh, next uh, 2025, I think, is when there's contracts in 2027. So um, it's actually, you know, there's a lot of talk now, but the, the, when people have to present uh, bids to hold the World Championship isn't until 2025. So we don't need to go into it too much yet, but they're certainly very much in discussions and thinking about it. At the um, Crucible? Well, yeah, at the Crucible or, or potential other options, you know. You know, they're not that far down the road of things. Um, I know this sort of topic has become big, as it has been for a while, but it's big at the minute. But they were very much, of the, the person I spoke to was very much thinking that we've got a while to come up with our proposal, or more than one proposal, potentially. But certainly Sheffield City Council are very keen to keep it there. Um, I think what I what I reckon is that move to Saudi Arabia. I, I actually can't see that happening for the World Championship because actually, well, Matru came up with that agreement with him to host the Saudi Arabia Masters there for ten years. Now we don't know what's happening with that, but it was ten year agreement, and that was for the Saudi Arabia Masters, and it was for the same prize when it was like less than the World Championship, and and apparently Saudi Arabia were happy with that to have their own tournament. Enormous prize money. So why? What would be the need to put the world championship there? You know, if they've already come to that agreement. To well, ambition, ambitions change. I would argue. I mean, I mean, they've been they've been to host the World Cup. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, what happened to this ten-year agreement that they'd signed? Supposedly, but I mean, if they, if they if Matchroom had convinced them to have that for ten years, then there's no need for snooker to give them the world championship. 
if they were happy to have a separate tournament with as good prize money, let them have that, of course. You know, like you said, I'm uncomfortable with going, having anything in Saudi Arabia. But, you know, I speak to a lot of snooker players who don't earn a lot of money. So I'm not going to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue against them having that opportunity to go and play for half a million quid in a Saudi Arabian instance. I, I would hate to see the World Championship there, but I'm fine with them having a separate tournament for the same money, which is just a different event. So I think if, if, they, if they've convinced Saudi Arabia to be able to host that, there's no need to have the World Championship there. Um, and yeah, thing, like you say, things change, but in my mind, can't see the World Championship going there because they've agreed to do whatever they want separately to that. So we'll see. But um, yeah, this will carry on uh, for ages, isn't it? Because as I say, the bidding, the sort of tender process, is that, is that the right word? Tendering? Um, is 2025 and then the contracts are 2027. So we've got a few more years of the chat. Yeah. yeah. Um, but absolutely, it's for sure that Sheffield. Uh, def- definitely wants to keep it and will be working hard to keep it. We really look forward to seeing that piece, Phil. Yeah, no, I'm sure that'll be very interesting. It sounds like more, you know, typically great work from you. But yeah, I mean, I said to before, only me, I'm only one journalist. I, I, I made a little bit, little bit of an effort, maybe even more than a little bit, to not really delve too much into the Crucible during this year's tournament because I thought it's just getting so dominant every year and it's in a way to the detriment of our enjoyment of the tournament I would I would argue it did come up a bit later with Barry Hearn that was I think around about the quarter final stage so that's deep into the tournament and of course we have to respond when Barry makes comments so that's fine but in general terms you know I, I didn't want this year to be and I think mostly it wasn't but obviously it's come up now and yeah it will continue to be a debate if you want to have your say and uh, but I do you know I think it is important to say as well that I, I would say the majority of snooker fans do want to stay at the Crucible but I am seeing an increasing more the other side. It makes me think that maybe the other side felt a bit cowed for a while. There are good, honest, great snooker people that have the other view, actually, that, that actually know it is time to maybe have a rotating world championship or just to look at a bigger venue in the UK, maybe a very special one. Well, who knows, here in Manchester or in London or whatever. And, you know, they should be allowed to say that. You know, I do, uh, 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 one of the... A very good snooker journalist once said to me, "I think we, you know we have we have we have enough traditionists to go around. I'm a traditionist. We have enough of those, <laughs> and that and that's kind of fair. Uh, I know I'm one, but you know, important that people are allowed to say that other view. It's not just everyone thinks it's to say the crucible. Well, that's not the case. Yeah. You know, there, are, there are views on both sides. Yeah, and it's the same same thing that a lot of people have said, and there's no argument against this. If you want to move from the crucible, fine, but what's the option?" Um, just saying it should leave the Crucible to some mythical great venue you know it needs you need to present what is better and you know if there is a better option then great you know I'm not I, I want it to stay where it is but I'm massively biased being living in Sheffield loving the Crucible um, but if someone said, put a presentation forward why you could double the size double the prize money Everything would be twice as good. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to just deny that. But it, no one's no one's done that yet, have they? No. Um, and until they do, uh, you know, it's all just pie in the sky. Um, and they, these places probably exist um, somewhere. But until someone shows it to us, then you know, it's irrelevant, isn't it? 
It is. You, you've got a train to catch to Sheffield, Phil. We've <laughs> quite this, soon. I thought this might be a short one, but it's been going on. But yeah, we should probably. We, wrap we up. should wrap up before we do. I've got to say, Phil, I have had the most extraordinary week. Interviewed Barry Hawkins on Tuesday. Saw the Rolling Stones five minutes from my home on Wednesday. Had an absolutely wonderful day and night yesterday with meeting Bernie Clifton. Bernie telling me uh, gag after gag, which was absolutely wonderful. Also, I met Ricky Tomlinson as well and uh, Johnny Vegas. Paying tribute and remembering the late great Sir Ken Dodd, who I adored. And I really enjoyed that at the Museum of Liverpool. That was wonderful. And now Phil Hagel Friday. I mean, that, that's it. And, and, and the Tony Muir Trophy, which I'm, I'm not going to do any, any silly things because you still want it more than I have, two to one. But I, I have finally got my hands on it. We should finish there and uh, say thank you very much indeed for your company. I really have enjoyed it. I don't see you very often, so who knows when the next time will be. But um, thank you, sir. Have, have, a, have a good trip home on the, on the train and I'm, and I'm heading to London and uh, we'll catch up next time to review the Shanghai Masters it's going to be a great tournament yeah that's one to look forward to um, got a bit loud in it yeah. um, no it was a pleasure I mean, we speak every week we speak all the time but very rare to see it in person so been a pleasure been a great day and congratulations on the worthy winner of the Tony Mio Trophy um, yeah maybe we should look to stream next time because there really was great drama I mean, there's a lot of terrible snooper in there but some good stuff and really went <laughs> everyone would have been gripped watching that final few seconds of that so uh, yeah enjoyable day regardless of the result and well done again I don't know if it's betraying too much of a, of a, a secret but Dave Gilbert said he might referee we're both sort of saying we can't have that no we, yeah. we just can't have that. I mean, it was, it, we had Dave Tindall Dave refereeing last year which was fine I mean Dave's a very good player but we could deal with that but I think having a professional watch seven frames of that I don't think it would improve the standard that's that's the problem I don't think we can have someone that was one frame away from a crucible final no. referee and Tony Mitt I just, I just don't yeah. think it's and as good as Dave Tindall is he's not that good no he's not <laughs> see you next time yeah pleasure as always and thanks for listening all the best everybody thank you for tuning uh, in to us for this special episode live from Manchester we'll catch up with you next time to look back on Shanghai for now from Phil and myself Cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.